0: (laughs) Hello. We are back with another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. You heard everyone else there too, both Catherine and Chris. Hey, everybody.
1: Hey, how are you?
0: Good. So we are, once again, the Above the Law weekly podcast where we kind of recap the big stories of the week that we are looking at over at ATL. And with that, we, however, don't jump right in as we, always, we kind of
1: slow play it for y'all.
0: We don't jump right into the stories because, you know, you, you need to be eased in, which is yeah, why we begin with slow. a little <laughs> small talk. Small talk. Okay. I feel like the, <laughs> the small talk that you, the the whisper needs to be an official sound too, but well, you do it every week.
1: I mean, I just enjoy it. So it's no no hardship on my end. Mm.
2: Is it, is it so, me or is Joe giving a little extra quiet storm today? What?
0: Quiet storm? You never. Uh, it's like a. I mean, I know what it is. I don't understand how it relates to what I'm doing. That's the. I question. feel
2: like your voice is extra slowed
0: and smooth. Oh, out. oh Ooh, the okay. Listening. <laughs> at I don't. All right? It's
1: almost like you should have a career in radio. I, I mean,
0: yeah. I I feel like I'm doing kind of the same things.
1: Anyway, whatever.
0: Um. Anyway, if you've been thinking about
2: Kravitz, we've got you covered. Is it Kravitz or Kravath?
1: It's definitely cravat. Cravat.
2: oh, yeah, well, when you're this smooth, you can call it what you want, well, you you know
1: it's <laughs> you really okay, can't, you but okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: so anyway, yeah, I actually was on another radio show recently of the w g n radio show about the legal world. So that was exciting. I channeled the crew my, over there. Hey, yes. Yeah, I know you've been on that show before. I, I it was nice that I, I felt very much like Harry Carey. I got to be on WGN, which, you know, as somebody from you know, who grew up with that being the channel you could get anywhere in the country, it was it was kind of cool. Harry Carey? Well Harry Carey who is no longer with us was obviously on WGN for years.
1: You say obviously in a really weird time, right there.
0: Well, yeah, got you. So, um, so the way famously. my mind worked, I heard harikari, which is a
2: suicide method, and I was like, yeah. "What?"
0: Yeah. Well, this what is what were they doing once, on this radio show? This is once again where being remotely plugged into popular culture would help. Uh, okay,
1: Joe. I mean, I'm usually on your side on this one, but I have to say, this is also in your old moment.
0: I mean, this is a character who was the subject of Saturday Night Live bits years Win. after he died. Win. Yeah, like it.
1: Still like, like the 70s, right? But no. Like,
0: <laughs> Will Ferrell played him for for God's sake.
1: All I'm you saying. Mean
0: the, you mean the guy from Elf? Yes.
1: All I'm saying is Harry Carey jokes is the sort of thing my dad used to say. Okay. So how was your weekend, everyone? Good. It's pretty well, good. We're, we're pretty. in small talk mode, Joe. Well, I mean,
0: we we have been having small, this was talk. It small not, talk. It does not
1: small talk. This was just you being old.
0: It does not No, it, it well, it was about another uh, another show that I had been on that people could also check out. But Hey, yeah, hey, it, Captain, it, in, in Joe's defense, this
2: is the first time in a while he's actually given life details during small talk. Yeah. So, uh, like, let's it, let's cut him some slack here. It, it he does plays not it, close to ha- the chat. it does not
0: have to always be one's weekend it can be anything that's where small talk comes in true but your version of small talk was hmm okay yeah well let's get to the day's stories
2: (laughs) i mean that's
1: often accurate chris how was your weekend
2: it was good it was good i got 98 runecrafting for the nerds listening and um i did a i an attempt at fosani's nightmare which is a good time caught up on this show called my hero academia which is a it's an animated show and it made me realize that I don't know what it is, but apparently I'm in touch with my emotions or some shit now. Because there were like two times where it was like kitschy and sentimental, and I was like, oh, this is kitschy and sentimental.
0: Who's cutting onions in here?
2: You know? so, <laughs> so
0: that was that was refreshing to experience. As everyone who who reads my work knows, my hero, academia, <laughs> is Jonathan Turley. So
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but
1: Hero, punching bag, whatever, tomato, mm. tomato.
0: Interesting. All right. Well, that uh, certainly seems like we've had a lot of small talk and can move on with actual stories. What do you want to talk about first?
1: I don't even remember what the stories were, so well, I'll let think, you take the lead.
0: I think the biggest story for us to talk about. Well, let's let's go by the biggest by traffic uh, from the last week, which is your story. Uh, there's, you know, it's more about our our Good favorite friend. our favorite Supreme Court justice ethical challenge.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a Ginny Thomas story, quite obviously. I think it was also one of my top stories of 2022. Something about her as well. So as we talked about at the time is Jeannie Thomas, because she was sort of the Forrest Gump of post-election denialism got called in front of the January 6th <laughs> committee, and it took some time before those transcripts were released. It kind of happened in that period in between, I think on the 30th it was released, between kind of Christmas and New Year's. So we wrote about her testimony, which had some very interesting kind of tidbits in it. We knew ahead of time, or right around the time that she had given the testimony, her opening statement was released. And in that, she kind of made it very clear that she never discusses her political actions with her spouse, that there's sort of a, you know, a a clear, bright line in their home. He never talks about his cases. She never talks about the work she does. I mean, it seemed, I think I said at the time, it was like a dim view of marriage, But when you actually got into the testimony, although she kind of kept that line and kept on repeating those things, the reality seemed a little bit different.
0: Well, so my takeaway when I looked at some of this transcript was that she takes the stance publicly she does not discuss with her husband her political activities. Mm -hmm. However, in the transcript, she makes reference to discussing with her friends.
1: Her best friend.
0: Discussing with her best friend what was going on, assuming, I guess, that. Trained prosecutors do not ask follow up questions. <laughs> they do, however, and asked who her best friend was and who was that person
1: oh, it was Clarence it was Clarence Thomas.
0: So her public stance that she does not discuss with her husband what's going on with her politically is really just kind of a hat wearing issue.
1: Uh, apparently. I don't know if it's a hat wearing or if she's trying to say. So the specific line from the text message, I believe it was that she was confronted with, was uh, in a communication with Mark Meadows. And she said that she needed the conversation with Mark. This plus a conversation with my best friend just now, I will try to keep holding on. And asked who her best friend that she referred to there, who that was, was Clarence Thomas. And it, it sounds like later in her testimony, she tried to say, like, yes, he offers spousal support, but I don't necessarily tell him all the details. He doesn't know who I'm emailing, who I'm texting, who I'm talking to uh, and, in a in a bit of a straining credulity kind of a way.
2: Yeah, I, I will say, like, imminent decline of our civil society aside, isn't that cute you know, it's nice having your husband be your best friend. Like there are some, yeah. You know, so like Aww. besides, like you know, you know, death of democracy. Can we like a pre- see? This is the sentimentality coming in. This is My Hero Academia's fault. There,
1: <laughs> but it is kind of interesting given the sort of stance she's been forced to take publicly that she doesn't discuss these details with Clarence Thomas. That she's you know kind of created this church and state kind of dynamic that you know never the the two shall overlap when because it is, in fact, her best friend, seems wildly untrue. You know, she what she doesn't she quote doesn't remember any of the specifics of this particular conversation. But there was something that Clarence Thomas said that allowed her to, quote, keep holding on to her belief that Donald Trump was the correct president and won the election of 2020. But she doesn't even remember what that conversation was, what he said, or at least she that's what she testified. But something that he said was enough to convince her to keep fighting the good fight, to keep denying the results of the election. And we're supposed to be okay with that as a democracy.
0: Right. Well, and this, of course, then plays into I mean, she says she doesn't talk to him about what she's doing, but, you know, she's having this conversation about hanging on. And then ultimately, when there's an opportunity for the Supreme Court to quash any inquiry into these messages that are going to mark meadows it's an eight one mm-hmm. with one notable to center <laughs> who seems as though probably had a little bit of skin in the game to keep those under or at
1: the very least even if even if they w- he didn't know the specifics we're sort of like give her the benefit of the doubt here he didn't know the specifics he knew enough To be skeptical and be worried that his wife's name was going to come up in these things, which obviously turned out to be true. To be true, yes.
0: Yeah, no, uh, it's an ongoing ethics problem. Obviously, there are uh, no—being a Supreme Court justice means never having to say you're sorry. There's no real— ethics there. They're all advisory at best.
1: And and the other part of it is that uh, further makes this more uh, infuriating, at least to me, is that, yes, a lot of people are paying attention now, finally, because it is so wild what's going on and the details that have been unearthed because of the January 6th committee. We know a lot more, but this is not the first time that Ginny's political activities have directly conflicted with Clarence Thomas's role on the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. She was out there uh, against, uh, in support of Trump's travel ban, an issue that came up before the Supreme Court. She was out there trying to get the Affordable Care Act overturned a thing that absolutely came before the Supreme Court and Clarence Thomas had a vote that went along with his wife's political aspirations as well. Right. She works for think tanks that frequently go before the Supreme Court. This is not new. This happens a lot with Jeannie Thomas. And we're finally talking about it in as much detail and anger as we should be. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, yeah, I don't necessarily think it's all that problematic that she has political stances that are on Big ticket issues that come before the court. It's more that she makes money off of those big ticket issues that, be, oh, that come sure. before the court. Uh, it, like I think it's an absurd take to think that the spouse of somebody who's politically active, as these folks are, you know, like sometimes justices come from the ivory tower. They they are literally heroes of academia, but. <laughs> Putting aside your your Kagans of the world, a lot of these folks come from political backgrounds. Obviously, Kavanaugh was a was basically a political fixer. Clarence was in the Reagan administration. So that I don't think is necessarily crazy that there, that folks have those stances. That said, there's a difference between having those stances and making money off those stances, and when you have judges whose household income is contingent upon making money off of stances that are before the court, that's a real problem. And one that the Supreme Court has no mechanism to deal with because there's no ethics rules, and one that the Chief Justice in the annual report on the judiciary had no comment on because— he doesn't care. Last year, uh, the year before, I, I mean, uh, this most recent report doesn't deal with this, uh, nor did the one last year. The last one last year even raised the issue of how there's an ethics problem. And he openly said that he found it offensive, basically, that anyone would think that they needed tighter ethics. Clearly, that has not worked out. But he has absolute contempt for us. So,
1: And and it's even worse than what you just said, which paints a pretty dim view, right? Because in disclosure documents, Clarence Thomas has oopsie forgotten to report almost $700,000 worth of income that Ginny has made as a result of that advocacy work. Yeah, that is wild.
0: Well, yeah, because if you if you disclose it, it starts looking like there's a real problem. (laughs) Uh, So don't disclose it. And then, yeah, it's real bad. And there does need to be some intervention on this front. And if it's not coming from, and unfortunately, Roberts seems to be taking the stance that even he has no interest internally to the Article 3 imposing ethical standards on the Supreme Court. And he's taking the stance that if Congress and the, you know, through the normal lawmaking means tried to impose restrictions on the court, that they would rule those as unconstitutional. That's a problem. And probably one that a future legislature would need to start playing real hardball over uh, you know jurisdiction stripping and stuff like that to to get an answer but
1: yeah and to kind of put a final bow before we move on Ginny did apologize hey she well not apologize she says she regrets the tone and content of those text messages but tellingly she said i'm regretting that they became public so Aww. it's not so much what she did as much as the fact that we all know about it
0: You know, always the apology for being caught. Uh, A classic.
1: (laughs) Classic.
0: Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at calidusai.com. That's C A L L I D U S A I.com. Hey, Gee, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Gee, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's JD McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you. I bet you he has got so many years of experience like decades and decades. And I bet, gee, I bet he even went to
2: a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found. All right. So uh, I quick, guess the, the question the, yeah. before we continue, Catherine, do you say Ginny Thomas is the Forrest Gump of election denial?
1: Ginny Thomas yeah. is the Forrest Gump. You know how like in that movie. It's hilarious.
2: Yeah yeah
1: <laughs> she's everywhere right she was emailing Arizona legislators she was going back and forth with Mark Meadows she was email- she was talking to John Eastman she was all over this shit
2: yeah my my immediate thought was her just sitting down on the bench saying like you know elections are like a box of chocolates <laughs>
1: <laughs> except she knows exactly what we're gonna yeah. get yeah
2: <laughs> Elections are like a box
0: of chocolates. We read the label and we know what's happening. <laughs> oh no! Elections are like a box of chocolates. You can't put them in the mail.
1: <laughs> Whoa! <laughs>
0: Small talk.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Can't put them in the mail, and inevitably the Italian Venezuelan actors are trying to ruin them for it. I don't know. It doesn't, the whole the whole thing doesn't really work out. Hey. Hey. So while that that story did the best traffic-wise last week, arguably the biggest story of last week in the industry brings us to one of our favorite new sound effects.
1: Layoffs? Don't talk about layoffs. You kidding me?
0: Layoffs? Uh, that is the layoff bug has hit the AMLAW 20 uh, with number 17 Goodwin Proctor announcing a fairly fairly significant reduction in force. You know, it sounds like over 100 attorneys all in is going across offices. It's, you know, we've seen some stealth layoffs out there. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Cooley was upfront about what they did. Other folks have been more couching it as the associate's fault. You know, kudos to Goodwin, I guess. You know, there's never like a good way of saying, hey, good layoff. But at least they seem to be taking the stance of being upfront about what happened, which is that they overhired over the last couple of years, have a excess of folks in some practice areas and needed to, in their minds, make cuts. This is bad for all those folks who are losing their jobs. But at least when you handle your layoffs this way, the hope is that you're signaling to the rest of the market who might hire these people in a lateral way that this is not a reflection on those attorneys. Mm-hmm. They continue to be very good attorneys who know what they're doing and would be an asset to other firms, just Goodwin couldn't afford to keep them, which is much better than a stealth layoff where you pretend that the associate was behind on their billing or mm-hmm. not a good fit or something like that. So so in some ways, this is at least being handled the best way possible.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, we've talked about this before, but I can't say enough how nice it is to hear firms like Cooley, like Goodwin, taking the hit, maybe takes a hit to their reputation, etc. But they are a large, large, very wealthy law firm, despite the cuts, they're the ones that can best afford to handle any sort of reputational hit as a result of announcing layoffs, unlike individuals who are at various stages of their careers who don't have nearly as much leverage as massive law firms do. So kudos to them for, you know, taking it on the chin.
0: Yeah. You know, it's rough to be hearing about layoffs. And we heard about more layoffs today.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. struck struck. Um, A fewer attorneys, uh, significantly fewer than the Goodwin ones, I believe it was nine attorneys that were laid off, but a bunch of staff was laid off as well.
0: Yeah, so we're hearing about these layoffs, which is obviously problematic. It goes to this prevailing sense that recessionary pressures are going to hit, which is a weird one because uh, we just had the most recent round of uh, the most recent round jobs of jobs and, numbers, and, yeah. which showed.
1: Like, all signs point to, like, we're in the middle of a great economy, and everyone's like, it's definitely a recession. We're looking for an economic downturn any minute now.
0: Yeah, not only were jobs numbers good, unemployment has now reached a 50-year low, Yep. which uh, there's some – there's always, like, to get economics nerd. There is something okay, Joe. You're
1: among friends. You can get as nerdy as you need.
0: Fair. There's always an argument that when unemployment is very low, it's causing wages to go up, and that would, you know – cause inflation which can have a negative impact down the road but inflation has been declining month after month Mm -hmm. pedantic question is it is it inflation declining or the rate of inflation declining that is a fair point the rate is declining inflation is always kind of going up we are not deflationary see you're among nerd friends that care yeah that's fair no that's fair (laughs) And inflation's not bad. One of the best analogies I've ever heard for it is that inflation is like the booze that you put in the punch bowl. You want a little bit in there because if there's none in there, that's a problem. But you don't want it to get out of hand. I believe Paul Krugman uses that analogy and it's a good one. Delightful. But when inflation gets too high, it becomes a problem. But you always want some because some of it is proof that the economy is growing.
2: I will say that is a bad that is a bad analogy only on the fact that I occasionally like a
0: couple shots. So yeah, well, sure. So so so, right. So you want some, and anyway, we're we're approaching where we kind of want to be, even with unemployment at a fifty-year low. That all seems to be an economy that's not in recession, and in fact, trending upwards. So the fact that these firms are making cuts what does that mean? Does this mean that they have a negative view of the market that is not realistic? Is it that their clients have a view of the market that's not realistic? Is it that they just really did over hire and they are in line? They just had more people than they thought. Like where, What the decision making is within all these firms is going to be interesting to see shake out. Mm -hmm. We have seen other firms say affirmatively they aren't entertaining layoffs at this point. Is that because they have a different view of where things are going or they've managed their headcount a little better? It's going to be an ongoing story over the next few months. It
1: certainly seems like it's more a headcount related, at least from our perspective, kind of on the outside looking in. Just because 2021 was so wild in the lateral market, it was fire. It was crazy times. It was lots of folks jumping lots of places and taking all bodies. You know, we're hearing wild stories of firms taking people without even fully interviewing them, just getting their resume and be like, start on Monday. Yeah. So I think that given that environment, which was obviously unsustainable, but also had ripple effects, I think, as the years kind of trickle on. I think that that's really what we're seeing is kind of correction to that market. And I think that that one year of wildness had a bigger impact on some firms than it did on others.
0: I think that's probably true. I mean, I'll just say to the extent, you know, I mentioned before that I consult with a recruiting organization. And at least from what I'm seeing on that front, there are still firms that are actively in the hiring phase. Mm-hmm. There are uh, job offers that are still out there. Obviously, it's not every practice area or anything like that. There are some cyclical effects going on. But the fact that some people are still in the hiring mode when others are conducting layoffs does suggest that there's a disjunct here. Yeah. How that plays out over the course of the next several months, uh, it will be interesting. So something to keep an eye on and allow us to keep playing uh, our ode to Jim Mora. All right. Well, finally today, you know, another angle on where the law firm world is going. We did just see a fairly significant merger.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It looks like big law firms are getting bigger.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So Holland and Knight has announced. I, we've known about this for a while. These talks have not been really secret for the last several months, but they are closing the deal with Waller Lansden, which is a Nashville-based firm that with a significant I mean has multiple offices but a very significant southeast presence. This brings Holland & Knight a lot more penetration into that area, it probably makes them I think probably the biggest employer in Nashville legally, uh, I believe. And,
1: and anticipated to make them, I think, 26th on the AM law 100 right, based I on think, the previous earnings of both of those So terms. that'll
0: pop them up a little bit. Yeah, I believe. So uh, does, it, does yeah. this make them Hollander and Niter? <laughs> no, I think the name will probably still be Holland and it Knight. It will
1: definitely still uh, be Holland and Knight. Okay. Listen, they last year merged with Thompson and Knight. And if Holland and Knight and Thompson and Knight didn't become Night and Night, they're going to be Holland and Knight for forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, no, not even that. It, sh- it should have been Night Night. Yeah, exactly. There were so many possibilities. <laughs> so many they many were pos- like,
1: mm, we're still Holland and Night. They're going to
2: be like, like Night Night. we're a cut above <laughs> the rest of the
0: competition. Like a, like what a, a p- sleep pun. Ah. Oh. Would have probably been nice to have at least changed the night to the other night since the <laughs> yeah. the night that they actually are is, you know, not exactly a figure with a great record. Um, uh, you know, Holland and I both uh named after politicians from the segregationist south. So, you know, mm. would be nice if it was some other a uh, different night and they could have kept the same letterhead and at least acted like they were they were <laughs> only half as bad. But well, whatever.
2: That's wild though. I just imagine a bunch of uh, people ready to do litigation in full chain metal. I didn't know that was a person's actual name. (laughs) Nice.
0: So, anyway, so yeah, so they're going to still be Holland Knight. This is happening. Uh, we also had another merger and I apologize for not having all their names off the top of my head. Uh, Maynard, and, uh, Maynard and Nex and Pruitt are merging also. This is uh, two regional Southeast firms merging together to make a more powerful Southeast presence. So I think the takeaway from both these stories is Southeast is a hot market. Uh, mm-hmm. But also... Yeah, and this
1: new firm is expected to actually crack the AmLaw 200 of this year. So we'll, we'll see. It will definitely sort of, I think, change the landscape for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, that that new firm is going to be over 500 lawyers. Mm -hmm. So very much going to be a player in what we can start calling big law once you start hitting those kind of headcounts. So one takeaway, Southeast is a big market. Another takeaway uh, that applies more to the Holland and Knight merger, but, you know, a little bit to both, which is while we're seeing these layoffs, while we're seeing Fear and trepidation on the part of some firms. The answer to that for a lot of firms is mergers. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some reason to believe that we're going to that this isn't the end. We're going to see a lot more of this kind of merging. Uh, probably less of the merger of equals and more of the big firm taking swallowing over,
1: swallowing up, yeah, mid sized sm- firms,
0: smaller or uh, regional firms in order to expand. Uh, we're still a little confused where the, we've talked a bit about Hogan Levels and Sherman, not quite clear how that one plays. That's kind of a merger of two big firms. But most of what we expect to start seeing is more big firms trying to swallow regional or boutique firms to add talent that way. It's a natural outgrowth of bad economic times, I think, to try to use building out the book a little bit as a way of staving. diversifying
1: the book too yeah
0: right? diversifying the book to to get out of it this may be a goofy question but how do mergers and ethical conflicts
2: work because I would imagine like oh. if if they're like two reasonably sized firms they merge together become one entity that
0: just increases the amount of business that neither of them can do Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And there are issues always. And, you know, we were already. That's
1: also a big part of the reason why, when these mergers happen, oftentimes you will see a non contentious shedding of partners Mm -hmm. where, you know, they take on a new set of business. And all of a sudden, you know, maybe you're a smaller partner, but you have a distinct book decides to go to another firm where there are no conflicts. And it's not. No, no acrimony necessarily on either part, but that you know this book of business doesn't work anymore.
0: Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it absolutely happens. You do see a lot of spinoff firms mm-hmm. when these sorts of big mergers happen, and yeah, so we'll, we'll spinoff firms or firms just being uh, like practice groups being absorbed,
1: going to different different to big law, different law firm. firm that yeah. doesn't have the conflict. Yeah, okay.
0: so that is that is definitely- uh, And
1: there certainly effect. are also you know anticipated mergers that fall apart because of conflict issues. Oh,
0: absolutely. Mm-hmm. That is when, real. Which is why you see a lot more these big firm take boutique firm or mm-hmm. big firm move into new geographic area where there's a regional firm because mm-hmm. that reduces the likelihood that there's right. going to be a conflict. When you see two national firms who have offices in exact same places try to merge, that's where you start wondering, does this- is this going to work? Mm-hmm. Uh, this seems as though at least a lot of partner books are going to have some tangential problems. Uh, and, you know, you see you sometimes partners fire a client in order to make the deal work, and then they're compensated on the back end by getting some cut of the client that was in favor. Like, it, it, yeah. they can work it out internally, but that—that mm-hmm. that uh, that's a great question. Whenever you start seeing mergers of... Of like firms, you start seeing a I mean, lot of competition.
1: Maybe issues. maybe this is portraying my age as well. But the last truly giant firm, giant firm that I can remember actually coming to fruition was Dewey LeBeuf, and that did not have a happy Ooh. ending.
0: Mm. Oh yeah, that no. did not
1: have a happy ending.
0: I mean, yeah, that one didn't. Uh, the, what was the firm several years ago? Was it Bingham? Somebody somebody tried was was in the midst of a merger, and I can't. I can't believe I'm not remembering this, but I feel like Bingham was involved. But whoever it was, there was a merger that was on the table, and ultimately the firm with leverage went. Wait a minute, we don't need to merge. We can just hire eighty percent of the partners, all the useful people, <laughs> and that's what they did. They hired most of, yeah. almost all of the people, and you in don't a, have the, the conflicts liabilities on the side, right? That's You're not wild. inheriting the liabilities. That yeah, the way. no, it was it was a crazy day, that's and all of flex. this kind of.
2: That is a flex. Like we don't even pretty need much all, you. Yeah. We just need your employees.
0: Yeah, pretty much all of this happened in a span of like twenty four hours too. Oh, shit. So it was a it was a big it was a big story. I can Yeah, that was. It's been a while. Is there a, is there there that a that documentary about
2: that? I feel like that would be a fire ass documentary.
0: <laughs> Not that one, but there is a documentary about the Dewey LaBeouf one that yeah. Catherine was mentioning, oh, okay. which uh, I mean, which was that very was, good.
1: That was awful.
0: Our friend of the organization, uh, like that was made by Bloomberg, I yeah, believe. Yeah. So, eh.
1: and I mean, the, the whole uh, Dewey implosion was fodder for above the law for literal years, even before I worked here. Uh, oh, you know, the firm went under. And oh, God, yeah. It was, it, it was crazy. It had massive repercussions on the industry. And when we talk about the 2009, 2010 sort of mass layoffs that happened in the industry, a big part of it was the fact that a giant law firm went under. Oh yeah! Right? There were thousands of unemployed attorneys in New York City all at once. Oh, it wow. was wild time.
2: Oh god! Yeah, See, I no, didn't even know I enough about that. I, I would. Just yeah, I mean that was assumed, very
0: before your time. Yeah. You know,
2: but no, oh, but like whenever I hear about like lawyers talking about like oh layoffs happen what have you around the 08 era, I just assume I just associated with um, the market crashing. I don't think about it as being a merger issue.
1: Well, it, it was both. It was both of those things. Yeah, you know, right? no, there it was, being both. Uh, yeah. I, I, I
2: didn't know enough about the merger issue to think that it, that would be a factor. I just thought it was Marking went to shit in the way. I didn't know why. It well, there's
1: there were a lot of reasons I think why why LaBeouf went under. And certainly mm-hmm. they were over leveraged. They were paying their top talent partners way too much. And it, 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 there, there's an entire documentary about all the yeah. reasons <laughs> why they went under. But going under meant thousands of unemployed attorneys. Plus, there were massive layoffs at other firms. There were also you know laying hundreds off at X firm hundreds. It's a, there was just thousands and thousands of unemployed attorneys in 2009 that you know, we Jesus. never
0: made the joke that that was Truman's revenge
1: oh. you know, Dewey, Dewey, Dewey defeated by
0: Truman it took a half century for him to get get all the way back anyway yeah so I think that's uh, so that's going on layoffs are still out there to be uh, worried about but there's also mergers happening so it's an interesting time in the industry which you can hear about on a weekly basis, if you subscribe to this show and then you get the new episodes when they come out and everything, you should give reviews and write stuff and that helps. You should be listening to other shows. Catherine's host the Jabot. I'm a guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable. There's other shows by the Legal Talk Network that we are not involved in, but that are also awesome. You should be reading above the law every week so you can you know, every day, frankly. So hey, you can Joe, see these question. stories and others. Yeah. If,
2: if we wanted to get like your thoughts on things that weren't on Above the Law, of this website or the podcast, are there any other places we can find you online?
0: You know, it's really interesting you mentioned that. You can also follow all of us on various forms of social media. I will just give the Twitter ones for now, but you know, we... Use your imagination. You'll probably find us on other things too. Although I haven't really, I haven't been able to really get into using these other ones yet. I feel like there needs to be a killer app like TweetDeck is to make these others work. But whatever. Point is, Twitter-wise, uh, you can follow Above the Law at ATL Blog. You can follow me at Joseph Patrice Catherine's at Catherine One the numeral the one numeral yeah one. she yeah yeah she raises her finger as she does that uh chris is at rights for rent we have facebook groups too uh, for above the law facebook has been popping off recently
2: we should probably mention facebook yeah. group
0: more often people should do that we're too. on facebook yeah there's less and censorship there yeah i think that's probably fair less <laughs> anyway and uh yeah so with all of that said peace i think that's it yeah see you
2: next week